course, they lost 99% of all their possessions. I'm ready to lose my life, but I, I, I can't deny Christ. The enemy's strategy is to always scare you away from engaging your Muslim neighbor, your Muslim coworker. Engaging. This week on VOM Radio, we'll be talking about engaging with Muslims and sharing the truth of the gospel. Muslims in the Middle East and Muslims right here in America. We'll also get an update on what our brothers and sisters in Iraq and Syria are facing and how VOM is helping. That's all coming up right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome again to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Uh, we are in our studio today with Brother Joe. Uh, if you have listened to many of our other episodes, you know that uh, sometimes we just use first names at VOM Radio uh, because of the security considerations for our workers. Uh, Joe is one of our VOM International staff. He is involved in helping persecuted Christians in the Middle East, uh, and we're going to be talking about that today. He's just back from there. Uh, but then we're also going to be talking about persecution in America. Joe, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks for having me. Joe, I know you've just gotten back from a trip uh, to the Middle East working with Christians, uh, and I know part of that was working with displaced Christians, people from Iraq and from Syria who uh, ISIS moved into their towns, and suddenly they had no home, they had no place to live. What's going on with these displaced people? What What is their sort of status right now? Well, we see uh, these refugees moving in droves out of uh, the countries of Iraq and Syria, specifically northern Iraq, and, and they're moving into places like Jordan and, and Lebanon. And um, there are some desperate needs there because of the sheer numbers uh, that are moving into these countries. Now, when you talk about the numbers, we're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in those surrounding nations? More than more than that. Uh, I would say, wow. uh, yeah, hundreds of thousands. Um, and if you look at the overall refugee populations in some of those countries, it's it's into the millions. What were some of the stories that you heard, uh, you know, particularly from those affected by ISIS that really impacted you as far as, you know, how they lost their homes, how, what what was happening? What were some of the stories that you really thought, wow? From some of the believers that are coming out of uh, the Nineveh Plain or from Mosul and those areas, um, they really face some difficult challenges. Some of them were able to get out early, and so... Um, of course, they lost, you know, 99% of all their possessions. But we did meet some that had to stay behind and actually were living in ISIS-occupied territories. There was a family um, all older, and because of their age and because of some of the physical handicaps, they had to stay even after ISIS overran uh, the surrounding areas. And, um, you know, we always hear that ISIS gives, you know, one of three options. You either pay the tax, you convert, or you die. And so 
with this family, um, they offered to pay the tax. They actually went through the the ISIS legal system and, and attempted to pay the tax. Interesting. And that became uh, much more difficult than, than it appears. They wanted to lump them into a big group of Christians that had stayed behind, and, and they weren't able to find enough people to actually join them uh, into a big group to pay the tax. So um, they faced some real harassment and eventually to the point where where ISIS people came and said, you've got to get out of here, and you got to get out of here right now. So as they traveled, as they fled, um, they tried to throw a few things in their vehicle and get out. But as they traveled through checkpoints, they were continuously harassed. ISIS essentially wasn't holding up their end of the bargain or what they said that they would do. Uh, everything was stripped, whatever they were able to throw in their vehicles, any any gold, any jewelry, any finances, all of those things were taken from their vehicle and, and their person, uh, even down to like wedding rings and, and mementos like that that they had. And there was also a point in time where they were detained at two separate checkpoints, ISIS checkpoints, and not just for 10 minutes, I mean like three, four, five hours, and held at gunpoint with ISIS folks trying to get them to convert to to Islam and, and to return back. So when so. they say that the, your option is to pay the tax, even that might not be an option. Even that may not be an option, as in their case, we, we learned that. You wow. Know? So yeah, their their faith was very strong, even even at gunpoint. When we heard the, um, the father figure uh, explaining some of the questions he was receiving from ISIS and and the demands for him to convert. At one point, he told them, "Look, I'm ready to lose my life, but I I, I can't deny Christ. I will not become a Muslim. My faith is the most important thing to me, and and I will not deny Jesus Christ, even if even if you take my life here in front of my wife and my mother and my sister. Wow. I will not deny him." Yeah. Wow. And as you know, ISIS, they don't bluff. Right. No. So he was, uh, he thought it was over. And, and as we spoke with him, even, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from where this took place, this big, large, strong man just began to weep. It's still very, you know, sketched into or etched into his mind, uh, this experience. And his wife began to weep as well. And and you could tell that he, he really thought he was going to lose his life at that point. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. How did he escape? Because, I, you know, like you say, they don't bluff. So if they say they've got guns and knives and they're going to kill you, typically that means they are. You're about to die. While they were at the checkpoint, there was another distraction. There was another event taking place that demanded that some of the ISIS officials go and pay attention to another thing that was happening. And when that happened, uh, they began to pay less attention to him and went to focus on another issue. And, and so while that was happening, there was another guard who, uh, the man we interviewed, the believer who got away, he said he believed that the Holy Spirit intervened and just gave him great favor so this guy came up to him and he said, look, while they're away focusing on this, you just need to go. And he said, go now. And uh, so this wow. guard just told him to go and, and they got in their vehicle and they left and, 
and obviously made it through. So it's a pretty amazing story about God's favor and, and also the testimony of their faithfulness when literally facing death. Yeah, and like you say, not it's not a bluff. It, this is not a drill. This is, okay, do you want to convert or do you want to die? Wow, what an amazing story. What a great story of God's rescue. How are the churches and how are the Christians responding in like Lebanon and Jordan and some of the surrounding countries as this influx of thousands and thousands of people come into their neighborhoods and into their cities? I've been very, very encouraged by the response from these Christians um, in these places and their response to these needy refugees who are coming into their countries, essentially. My take or my opinion in the past has been that it's it's a great minority of Christians, uh, Middle East Christians, um, that really have a strong desire, strong heart to reach out to people from Muslim background. And um, I feel like there's been a shift. I feel like um, there's been more evidence and more uh, examples of Muslims coming to Christ now than maybe ever before in history. And a lot of that is due to this persecution. A lot of that is due to uh, these situations with the refugees. And so I don't know if that's been an encouragement to the local evangelical churches in these places, but I definitely have seen more of a concentrated effort by the local church to not only reach out and engage, um, but also in relief forms, um, not just for the Christians, but also for the Muslims as well. And what is that doing? How, how do the Muslims respond when they come into some of these surrounding countries and, and it's not the mosque that helps them out, it's not the imams that are bringing food and help and clothing, and, but it's the Christians. What, is that, what does that do to them? Well, I think it softens their heart. Uh, first and foremost. I think um, many of these Muslim families perhaps have never known a Christian. If they have known a Christian, maybe it's been a nominal one. So that when they interact with uh, an Arab-speaking Christian that has an evangelical heart, that genuinely loves them without expecting anything in return, um, I think it's a real awakening for them because well, one, they've never experienced that kind of a love before. And two, they're very surprised that that comes from a Christian because, you know, they they have their opinions or things that they've been taught from the mosque about Christianity. And so it comes as a real shock to them when they enter into these new places. They have no home. They have no food. They have no source of income. And who is it that is trying to help them out? Well, it's the Christians. It's the Christ followers. So I think that that's... Uh, um, it begins to open the door, and it begins to uh, develop a level of trust um, for these people of the book, these Christians. One of their sources of information about Christians is the mosque, uh, and if their information about Christians from the mosque was faulty, and now suddenly the Christians actually are pretty good people, uh, that sort of plants the seed of, I wonder what else I heard at the mosque that wasn't actually true. Uh, so interesting way to witness can you share some of the things, and I know obviously we can't, we have to be careful about details, but about what Voice of the Mars is doing uh, in the Middle East, particularly with these displaced people to help uh, during this time of, of great need? Yeah, so some of the basic human needs, um, food and shelter, you know, we have some 
uh, fairly large projects that are helping these displaced uh, refugees with those kind of, of things, as well as, you know, we just are coming out of the winter season even even for those areas, um, blankets, jackets, uh, things of that nature, uh, outreach packs that are, that are advertised on our website. You know, those have been uh, a great help for many refugees that are coming out of of these places, uh, just to pro- provide them with some common uh, basic necessities that they have. Um, so as far as the physical needs, you know, we, we definitely are meeting uh, quite a few of those needs. And then, um, you know, on a spiritual level, uh, we've been able to get a lot of Bibles, a lot of uh, Christian literature to these folks that are uh, essentially, I don't want to say that they're in prison, but they can't work. Uh, they sit around all day. I mean, what a great opportunity for us to get them uh, Christian literature, the Bible, uh, when they have time to read, or if they're illiterate, they have time to watch something or listen to the Bible on MP3. We send evangelists in there to share with them. You know, you mentioned the mosque misinforming uh, Muslims everywhere. I mean, one of the things they teach is that Christians serve three gods, you know, and that uh, God and Mary had physical relations, and out of that came Jesus. So now we're able to send in members of the local church or local evangelists to share with them, hey, whatever you heard about this, that's not true. Here, let me show you what we really believe. Um, So we really have a captive audience when we talk about the refugee population all over the world, not just the Middle East, but... um, so hopefully we are uh, contributing to that and taking full advantage of, of the opportunity to get in there and share with them as well. For these people that are displaced, is there any future hope? Do they think in terms of a time frame, you know, a year from now I'm going to get to go home? Do they think they'll ever get to go back into Mosul or into some of those cities? Or are they just really literally hopeless and basically sitting around sort of not even knowing what to expect or or what's going to happen. When we talk about northern Iraq or Syria in particular, I feel like refugees from those areas have no hope to return, especially the Christian population. Uh, But for Syria, even the the Muslims that are coming out of of Syria as refugees, even though they have a desire to return, um, some of them, I don't think they have any hope that that will happen soon just by sheer fact of, of the situation and the continuous warfare, and, and it's completely destabilized there. So so are most of these people thinking they want to be resettled somewhere else, Europe, America, Canada, or are they kind of sitting tight and hoping maybe they will be able to go home? Yeah, I think it's a, a hope and a dream for a lot of them to resettle in the West. Um, but when you look at the numbers of IDPs or internationally displaced people, it's, it is a dream uh, for a lot of them. That will happen for some of them in the next, you know, one to seven years. Some of them it'll be seven to ten years, and then some of them eventually will be told, told to return to their home country or, or they'll be stuck in one of these uh, wow. neighboring countries. Give our listeners one or two ways that they can be praying for those displaced people people and for the Christians who are ministering to them uh, in, I mean, what you say is a really hopeless situation. For the displaced persons, for the refugees themselves, you know, many of them 
are missing family members. They don't know where they are. They continually ask us for prayer, uh, for safety of family members that are still missing or they don't know where they are. Another thing that they ask for prayer for is, as we mentioned, their future. You know, that how, how are they going to provide for their families? How, how is God going to take care of them? So, so we really need to pray that at every turn during this hopeless and, and, and dark time for them, that God would surprise them and God would continually be putting Jesus in front of them and in ways that ultimately they glorify the Lord as a result of the ways that he provides, that they could see beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was him right? and that it was his people, people of the book, these, these followers of Christ that are the ones that are uh, truly providing for them. And for our workers, those who are serving these internationally displaced persons, you know, we, we absolutely need to be mindful to pray for them. Um, many of them get pulled in for interrogation by local police. Many of them are, are targets for persecution themselves. Another thing that they face on a daily basis is just constantly everyone they speak with has needs, and I need this, I need this, and it's very draining. Overwhelming. For our workers that are there, and not only the needs, but the stories they hear all day. I mean, they're not licensed counselors, but they're hearing some of the most dramatic stories and people's trauma and, and people's emotional pain. So just that the Lord would continue to, to recharge their batteries and that they would have good times with their family and, and in the Word so that uh, they'll be recharged and ready to face that day in and day out. It's, it's a tough work. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Joe, I want to switch gears. We're speaking with Brother Joe, who is one of our international workers here on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Uh, you have worked with VOM for a while now, but prior to that, uh, you were involved in a work among Muslims here in the U.S. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about this. And, and just a couple weeks back, we had Tom Doyle on VOM Radio, and uh, one of the things he mentioned sort of in passing was the fact that that this is happening in America. The, the things we see, the persecution stories we tell about the Middle East— those are happening within Middle Eastern communities and Muslim communities here in America, too. And I know you have seen some of those. What what kinds of things have you seen and, and your coworkers seen among Muslims living right here in the United States? It's an interesting point that that is beginning to happen here in the U.S. as well. And I think one of the things that maybe— we don't always recognize is is the process of what happens when a new immigrant or a new refugee comes into the United States. For many Muslims, upon upon their arrival here in the U.S., whether that be as a refugee or as an immigrant, there's an introduction that happens between them and whoever the local imam of the local mosque is. And so there's a level of accountability that starts even there, even upon their entrance into the United States. Sometimes there's connections between that mosque and their home country, wherever they come from, which can be a point of pressure. But there's also an underlying threat that uh, if you don't participate in Islamic activity here in the U.S., then if they're providing any kind of support 
uh, they will try and essentially cut them off. Another thing that for singles, so for example, if you come to the U.S. as a college student, well, there's hundreds of thousands of international students that come for college every year. Well, for many of the Muslim students, there is also accountability, and there are also eyes watching them and their activities as well. So we have uh, several stories of girls and boys that were attending university that came to faith out of Islam, came to faith in Christ, who within a week disappeared. Wow. If, if a local imam catches word, hey, he will get on the phone with whoever that girl or guy, their parents, whether it's from Iran or Saudi Arabia, and he'll tell them, hey, this is what's happening with your daughter or your son. And they will send a brother or an uncle, whoever, and, and they will get them out. Get them on a plane and yeah, get them home. Yeah, absolutely. Or if they have a relative that lives there, you know, potentially that convert could just be locked in a, in a room until they convert back to Islam. And that we have stories of that happening as well. We have more stories of um, spouses who uh, are converting, um, you know, especially for the women. Uh, being a new immigrant or new to this country, they don't understand the legal system. So when they become interested in the gospel or if they convert to the gospel, uh, their husband will beat them, and he will tell them, you know, if you say anything to the police or to the neighbors, they will take our children and you'll have no access to your children, and then they'll deport you. So, you know, because they don't know the, right. the rules or the legal things, they, they just keep quiet. And a lot of times, if they were attending a church service or a language school that was providing, you know, evangelical material, a lot of times they just stop coming. And when you go to visit them and, and see what's happening, you'll see the bruises, you'll see the quietness. The natural question then, because one of the things we talked with Tom Doyle and with Joanne Doyle about reaching out to Muslims, what should we watch for, or should we, as Christians who are trying to be the face of Jesus, are there some signs we should watch for, or sometimes when we should kind of pull back a little bit, or how do you advise our listeners who are who are trying to do that? They're trying to reach out. I think you have to go, continue to go, I mean, 100% in, in your efforts at reaching out to your Muslim neighbors. And if the female or the male, if they tell you of, like, uh, my boss told me I'm going to lose my job or my husband is beating me, obviously you want to take note of those signs and, and respond, respond appropriately. The enemy's strategy is to always scare you away from engaging your Muslim neighbor, your Muslim coworker. So I would say don't let anything distract you. Don't let anything discourage you from, you know, actively pursuing these people with the gospel. Now, what happens in situations like—I mean, I think of a wife who's being beaten by a husband. Typically, that would be a, a police issue. That would be a Department of Human Services issue. Does that happen? Do, do they step in and say, wait a minute, you can't, you can't beat your wife? This is America? Um, what happens? A lot of— uh Police authorities, other governmental agencies are really having a hard time in knowing how to respond because this is such a cultural problem. So in neighborhoods where you have large amounts of, of Muslim population, um, you know, in fact, we actually at times work directly with the police and, 
and gave them some education about, hey, culturally, this is what it looks like and, and how do they respond and how do they educate new Muslim residents about, hey, you can't beat your wife or, you know, you can't threaten them with this. I mean, those are totally foreign concepts to some of these new families. So um, the authorities have struggled as well um, on how to address this issue. It seems like this is a great opportunity for churches uh, that are in cities where there are large immigrant populations to have uh, English classes and to have cultural something, you know, educational classes to say, hey, now you're in America. Here's a little bit about our history. Here's a little bit about the law. Here's, it just seems like that's an opportunity for churches and Christians to speak into the lives of, of Muslim immigrants. Yes, absolutely. I, I think the fact that fear or whatever reason has kept uh, so many churches or so many evangelicals from doing this is is a shame because now more than ever, uh, these immigrants, these these people from Muslim backgrounds are flooding into our cities. And and the reality is, is that if, if we don't approach them, if we don't get a hold of them, the local mosque for sure will. And so I think not that we should, that should be our only motivation, but I think the opportunities are all around us. And it can be something as simple as a providing English lessons or, you know, welcome packs for new people into our communities, um, letting them know that, hey, there are Christians who really do care about you. They're not going to be your enemies, but, but that they love you. You know, I heard a statistic once that really motivated me. Um, and of course, this is five or 10 years ago, but uh, the statistic was is that somewhere between 70 to 80 percent of international students in the United States never step foot inside an American's home. And I thought, boy, what an indictment on us that Muslims who will be the future leaders of the world and their countries uh, from all these different places where we're spending millions and millions in missionary dollars trying to reach them, but when they send their people here, where's our response? What are we doing to reach them? And typically the ones who are coming here are the best and the brightest of and the, the future leaders. And what better audience could we reach? Uh, that, is a, that is an indictment. Yeah. So, so you know, we, we have to wake up and get involved. Um, yes, we need to continue to send missionaries. We need to continue to support work overseas, the local church overseas. But we need to wake up and, and get involved ourselves here. Because if you look, there's an opportunity and if you're willing to be intentional, God will provide a, a means and a way to be involved in some people's lives. Joe, thank you for sharing with us this information. I, I encourage our listeners, do exactly what he said. Get involved, be intentional about it. Uh, I would also encourage you, this is a topic that we talked about with Tom Doyle. We talked about it with Joanne Doyle. Uh, you can go to vomradio.net and listen to those conversations uh, because they talked about some of the same things. How do I do outreach? How do I talk to a Muslim? What do I say? Joe, thank you for being our guest. Uh, God bless you in your continued work for Voice of the Martyrs uh, in the Middle East. Thanks for having me. If you'd like to help provide Bibles and other aid to Christians from Iraq and Syria, you can give online at vomradio.net. Just click on the Donate tab at the top of vomradio.net. You can also listen to other episodes of the show and send us your comments or questions on the website, vomradio.net. 
Thank you, Joe, for sharing your experiences with us this week, and thank you for listening in on our conversation. I hope you've been challenged to engage with those in your city who need to hear the gospel message. We'll see you next week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. <music>